episode 20 of Super High Sci-Fi is uh, going to be a philosophical experience because a lot of people say that every day in your life is a gift, and I think that we've wasted at least a fraction of a day each uh, watching Alien 3, that's safe to say. Yeah. Um, with me is Grant. We are doing OG Super High Sci-Fi today, just the two of us, but that's more than all right because two people, ten people... 200 people, Alien 3 really sucks, so there's plenty to talk about. Yeah, and Sam's not here because he's frozen in carbonite, right? Is that That's the, the thing yes. that happens to him. And then, and yeah. then Ju- Justin, actually watching Alien 3, actually sent Justin into a deep coma, and he is actually in the ICU right now at a local hospital because watching Alien 3 had such a devastating effect on his mind. So don't watch Alien 3. Just listen to us complain about it. Right. Listen to us tell you why it's a bad idea for you to watch this movie and or take it seriously. Save yourselves. But before we get to Alien 3, there was a couple news items. I think that the the biggest one, because, you know, fuck Matt Damon's stupid movie, is that Christopher Lee passed away. Yep. Good old Count Dooku. Born in 1922. Yes. Did a lot of things before he turned the age of 25. This guy had a really exciting life. Yes, he uh, is a descendant, or was a descendant, I should say, of Charlemagne, so that's cool. Yeah. His mom was Italian royalty. He was six foot five, which, you know, not really that big of a deal now, but he was born in 1922, so I think that was still... He uh, was an ogre back then. Right, that was on the, the cusp period where people were starting to get better nutrition and, you know, people over six feet were becoming more common, but he was still very tall. So he would have been like eight feet tall now. Yeah, he probably would have been taller now. <laughs> I mean, who knows? Uh, he's uh, had a really long career as an actor, but before that, let's see, I'm trying to read through his uh, summary of achievements I looked up. He... Apparently met the two guys who killed Rasputin. Personally. I didn't know that. Yeah. Interesting. He witnessed the last uh, public guillotine execution in France. Was that as a kid? At age 17. <laughs> okay, so not as a kid then. Right, at 17, yeah. Uh, he joined the Royal Air Force, but they wouldn't let him fly because he had some kind of uh, vision problem, so... Uh, they decided that it would be better for him to be an intelligence officer on the long-range desert patrol, which is basically the the special air services forerunner. So the Navy SEALs of the United Kingdom uh, fought in North Africa and Italy. He was also taken out of that because I guess Winston Churchill thought that he was a, a waste in there, and they made him into uh, James Bond, basically. He was the in the Ministry of Ungentlemanly Warfare. Wasn't he Fleming's inspiration for how Bond should look? I think he was, yeah, both. He was one of the people that right. influenced the character. The amalgamation of people that, uh, what's-his-face, Fleming knew. Yeah. Christopher Lee's one of them. James Bond is a, an amalgamation of many people, but Christopher Lee is reputed to be one of the people. That makes sense. I mean, he's, he's always seemed like a very suave guy. And, you know, he's a pretty good-looking dude, so... And he speaks French and Italian. So, putting that to good use, he spent his time after World War II, instead of counting his money or doing something else, hunting down uh, Nazis, apparently. (laughs) And this all happened before he turned 25, so that's fucking amazing. 
Yes, he was very accomplished. Is obviously a bunch of acting credits. Um, yeah, I always remember him. He's Dracula in the Hammer films. That's where I always remember him from. Uh, he's Count Dooku in Star Wars. He's Saruman, right? Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think if I'm missing any big ones. He played Sherlock Holmes, too. That's where I remember him from. Oh, I didn't know that either. The Hound of the Baskervilles. He was in one of the adaptations of that. I'm also reading here that he was, I didn't know this, uh, Step Cousins, Ian Fleming. So he's even closer to the James Bond story than you would have thought. Let's see here, what else? He was engaged to a princess or... Yes. Oh, I read this story, and he yeah. had to get like permission from the king of Sweden or something. And he didn't like him. And he fucking got the permission from the king of Sweden. <laughs> Let's see here. Oh, yes. My favorite fact is that Peter Jackson was filming the extended version of The Return of the King, the six-hour one, where, um, what's-his-face, Grimmer Wormtongue goes back to the Shire and you know, institutes his puppet government. Yeah. Uh, and in that, uh, does he get stabbed in the back? Or is it Saruman who gets stabbed in the back? Somebody takes a knife to I the back. I didn't watch the extended and version. And apparently Christopher Lee stopped Peter Jackson and said, no, no, that's really not the noise somebody makes when they get stabbed in the back. And it turns out that he was speaking from first-hand knowledge of having seen some people get knives through the back. Oh, so he's like, no, no, Peter, you don't know what it's yeah, like yeah. to get stabbed in the back. Right, he had to explain to Peter Jackson. <laughs> I stabbed the guy in the back. Right, because <laughs> Peter Jackson was over there saying like, oh, no, make this noise. And he's like, no, no, actually, it sounds like this because I've done it. So that's pretty cool. That must have been very humiliating for Peter Jackson. Yeah. Also educational, I guess. And, of course, he was a, a knight commander. He was knighted, so that's nice. Sir Christopher Lee, I guess we should call him. Yes, so rest in peace, Sir Christopher Lee. Uh, I don't think uh, he could have lived a more exciting life. No, actually, he's a world champion fencer, spoke six languages. All right, now I'm I'm starting to not like this guy because he's so fucking perfect. (laughs) And I I think the, the coolest thing on this list, last but not least, is very interesting. Everybody's heard of the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, the game where you can... Within six relationships in your life, you can find somebody who knows Kevin Bacon. This particularly works well in Hollywood, but I guess the the game is that anybody in the world can figure this out. Uh, Christopher Lee beats him. Apparently, if you're an actor, it's uh, only 2.59 steps to get from yourself to Christopher Lee instead of six to get to Kevin Bacon. Cool. Yeah, so long career, uh, no missteps, which is odd. Usually there's a couple fuck-ups, but I guess he was just very lucky and very prudent in how he I mean, he didn't want to play Dracula a few times, and he I think he did one movie without doing any dialogue whatsoever because he didn't want to... He didn't want to play Dracula in the movie again, and so the whole movie, Dracula just makes, like, hissing noises and, and stuff, but it's him. I'll take it. Uh, on Kickstarter, also our, our second and final news item is that there is a documentary seeking funding called For the Love of Spock by Adam Nimoy, who I can only assume is Leonard Nimoy's son or it grandson. Is. Yeah, it's his son. 
So it's 268000 as of this moment here to its $600,000 goal. has 17 days to go, and it's pretty much, I guess, his son's seeking funding to make a, a documentary movie about his dad's most famous role, which would be Spock, obviously. So definitely check that out. Do give some money to that because, although I guess he probably doesn't need the money, you know, anything to get the project off the ground because I think it's really cool to see more about Leonard Nimoy maybe and see a documentary about all of the weirdness that came out of his role on what was a relatively, you know, cult television series that exploded into a, a cultural phenomena. Yeah. Definitely wasn't popular for at least five to ten years after it went off the air. I mean, and looking back on it, it's like very obviously people in shitty costumes on a plywood set with no air conditioning, sweating their asses off, trying to spit out like really weird dialogue, but it it worked, and Leonard Nemo was part of that. He was part of making that work. Yes, and I misspoke. It wasn't popular while it was on the air, and the five to ten years after, it became incredibly popular, and they, after the NBC killed it. And they were running it in syndication. Didn't NBC kill Batman, too, though? NBC killed everything. Yeah. Yeah, and they, they killed Star Trek for some stupid comedy hour show that didn't last one season. What was that called again? Uh, I don't know, because yeah. nobody knows, because right. it's fucking stupid. Yeah, nobody remembers. Yeah. And they say they say hindsight is twenty twenty, but I'm not giving it that to them, because replacing Star Trek with some stupid buffoon show is... Uh, Seems like a really bad decision any way you slice it, whatever time you're in. Yeah, comedy is really, I think, largely situational, largely contemporary. So that would have been funny or whatever back in the 60s, but Star Trek still, the themes and the point of Star Trek <clears throat> still pretty accessible today, whereas the jokes, I bet, are uh, incredibly shitty on that show. In yeah, which is why they keep making more and more money from it. Yes. Money is the most important thing, which is why we should talk about David Fincher having too much money given to him. Well, it's not just David Fincher. I have a grudge against David Fincher. This, this whole movie is, is just a fucking train wreck clusterfuck from the very moment it was conceived. I just can't give Fincher a pass on this one because if he, he hated it so much, why not just say I quit? We're talking about Alien 3, of course, which came out in... 1992. And you can tell it came out in 1992 because there's a sick-ass futuristic CGI alien rendered with the finest Apple II computer technology. <laughs> yeah, it looks pretty bad. I mean, you got to think this is within, what, a year of Jurassic Park? It was a year after Terminator 2, and Terminator 2's CGI effects still look great today. And so you're talking a year after that movie, and you can't pull something off as good as that. You're in the wrong game. Right. It, lo it looks like a sci-fi channel original movie. Yeah, it does. It looks like Mansquito or Rock Monster. So let's... Right, we should probably start by talking about the different versions of this film because I watched the assembly cut. Right. You watched the director's regular... No, there is no director's cut. I'm sorry, the theatrical. Right. Because right, you... the, there would have been a director's cut if David Fincher had, had participated in any post-production uh, activities with this movie, but he pretty much disowned this movie after he was done and walked off the set, and 
he won't even speak about it to this day because he hated the process so much. And after watching the movie, you can totally understand where he's coming from. Uh, so what the studio did is they cut a bunch of stuff out to get the theatrical cut. And then what was done in 2003 is they restored some of that footage to kind of fill in the story gaps. And that's what they came out with as the assembly cut, quote unquote. It doesn't help very much. No, it, it really doesn't. I think that the theatrical cut has like so many flaws and is so fucked up, and we're going to talk about that. But the and the assembly cut really doesn't do anything to uh, make up for that. It just adds stuff in, like it adds a subplot with uh, Paul McGann's character, which is actually okay because I think he was tragically underused in this movie. And for those of you who don't know, Paul McGann is a great actor who is also the eighth Doctor Who. You guys probably do know that, but he is an incredible actor, and he was supposed to be in this movie in a much larger role, which you can see in the assembly cut, but for the theatrical version, he just basically gets cut. He has, like, two scenes, right? There are a lot of people in this movie who are actors and actresses, or not really actresses, I should say, but uh, people you'll recognize from other productions, other things. Pete Postlewhite. yeah. And what's Charles Dance? Who's uh, Charles Dance and Charles Dutton? Yeah, a lot of people, but they they either die or they're just like background prisoner number five. Yeah, yeah, and they have real no real impact on the story. Yeah, so I watched the theatrical version. Uh, Clark, maybe you could tell everybody who hasn't seen the assembly cut with the, like the major differences. The assembly cut. I thought it was just that subplot where they actually catch the alien and then Paul McGann releases it. Yeah, I mean, the major differences are that the plan to capture the alien goes off, but it's undone because crazy guy undoes the lock on the room, so yeah. it's really not that big of a deal. His name's Golic in the movie, isn't it? Something like that. Garlic Jr. Garlic, yeah. <laughs> so Garlic Jr. undoes the lock, um... And the alien doesn't hatch out of a dog. It hatches out of an ox that's inexplicably on the desert prison planet. I don't know. This whole movie makes no fucking sense. I think we should start off by saying that it's supposed to be a continuation of Aliens. No, no. Yeah, we should start even before this movie starts when the fucking people who made this movie, who you may recognize as the same team that was partially behind Alien and Aliens inexplicably, uh, they released a trailer for this, like a year before this movie was supposed to come out. And the trailer is basically an alien egg hovering over planet Earth, and then that disappears, and you see Alien 3. And this trailer is the biggest lie in this entire franchise. And that's that's the reason why I hate this movie from the very get-go, because they fucking lied in the trailer, and they made you think in this teaser, that it was going to be something completely different than it turned out to be. You see planet Earth, you think aliens are going to be on Earth, right? And then you think, oh, we're going to get to see uh, Ripley and Newt and Hicks are fighting the aliens and the company to stop the aliens from infesting Earth, right? That sounds like a really exciting movie to me, and it's nothing like the movie that showed up on the screen. There is a planet in this movie, to be fair. Yeah. There, there is a planetoid in this movie. It is not Earth. And there's an alien. So they yeah. had, they had two things they promised, but yeah, but in the you know the 
Earth, people care about Earth being infested with aliens. That's a big problem with this movie. It's like nobody gives a fucking shit about aliens, an alien coming down and killing a bunch of useless retard convicts. Yeah, that's my confusion with this movie is that it's like, uh, okay, I guess another assembly cut theatrical difference. It's like Ripley washes up on shore in the assembly cut, and the other one she's found in the wreckage of the crash. Right. Whatever ship, escape escape pod, pod whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever module broke off. But either which way, the the escape plan they had from aliens were she and Hicks and Newt and Bishop get inside the little hypersleep chambers and they're going to go back to Earth or wherever. That is apparently somehow derailed. They crash on a desert prison world with like black oily water for an ocean. And it's the convicts apparently don't really... I don't even get there. Are they just marooned there? Is that the deal? Like, you just get dropped off and now you're a convict? Congratulations? Or It, it was... The, the sense I get from the movie, it was a prison, and the prison got shut down, but all the convicts elected to stay there because they subscribe to this, like, crazy end-of-the-world, like, religion. And so they run this prison, and then there's, like, two administrator guys who stayed there at like the behest of the company to just make sure like people don't get crazy and stuff. And yeah, they just live in this fucking prison practicing their crazy religion, you know, based on some new age Bible. And they're all like thieves and rapists and have like this double Y chromosome thing that they make up in the movie. That's really strange. So they're all like predisposed to be like super rapists and it's all men and they just practice their religion. It, it, it didn't make really that much sense to me. Even the assembly cut also goes into detail to try to explain more about their philosophy to you, but didn't do much for me. I still don't understand what their deal is. Yeah, it sounds like their philosophy is more like, as long as we're just guys and we stay on the planet, we're okay, but introduce a woman in here and we all get crazy and start trying to rape everyone. I, I don't know. The movie, yeah. it's, it, it seems like it's a movie that has an alien in the title. And they put the alien creature in there, but it's the movie has nothing to do with aliens. Well, this the production of this movie was so fucked up, which is one of the big reasons why what we saw on screen was so bad. I mean, they this movie was like in development hell for like six years, so an amazingly long time. And just every moment you're in that development hell is another chance for your movie to get messed up. And I think they went through like something like five or six different scripts and they were actually hiring writers concurrently to write different scripts. And then the writers were finding out that other people were writing scripts in competition with them and would quit. And they had like four directors attached to this, you know, people who have done good stuff too. Like they had, um, I think the guy who wrote, uh, if you, if you guys have ever seen the movie near dark, it was like Catherine Bigelow of uh, the Hurt Locker fame that was like one of her first movies. It's kind of a great uh, indie cult vampire flick. Lance Henriksen is in it, actually. So, you know, tangential connection to aliens. But this this whole movie, the way they were made... I mean, they were building the sets before they had a finished script, before they really knew what they were doing, and they changed this story about six or seven times too. And so the end of it is kind of just this like corporate mishmash of, you know, production notes and just decisions by committee. And that just sets everything up for failure. Right? I mean, 
they had this really good idea, which is where I think they got the, the convict thing from, where the whole thing was going to be set on this wooden planet. Yeah, so explain to me how you're going to make a wooden planet in space, please. Nope. Yeah, you can't. And the wooden planet was going to be populated by monks who subscribed to this crazy religion. Uh, yeah, you see where we're going here. That got changed. They they had another person come in, and he changed it so it's going to be like a, a convict planet run by like former prisoners or something like that, and they're all crazy religious people. And, you know, I'm just I'm so disappointed with the way this ended up because the way it started out was supposed to be that Ripley was supposed to go in the background and be almost kind of a a cameo character, and then Hicks was going to be the main character, and it was going to be this this movie about stopping the company from making aliens into bioweapons and stuff like that, you know, kind of the direction they've been heading since the first two movies. So this would have been the payoff. And they just didn't do that. Space commies hijack alien eggs. Big problem in mall world. Yeah, they, they, William Gibson was one of the people who was attached to this really early on, and uh, I guess it didn't work out with him for whatever reason. I kind of liked what he wanted to do, though. Yeah. I mean, not the goofy space communist, that was stupid, but at least his intent was to put the alien... The implication that, okay, the first movie, there's the alien on the ship. Okay, now I know what it is. Second movie, we're going to go seek this thing out and find it. Ooh, we want to bring it back and use it somehow. And then the third movie is, oh, now we got it back. And, oh, shit, we, we probably shouldn't have brought it back to Earth. That was a bad move, which would have been a more interesting story. Or to have, you know, nut bar ideologues, whether they be space communists or not, take the bioweapon and they want to use it against Earth because they don't like Earth or whatever, much more interesting than prison planet refinery thing with weird religion full of ultra rapists. Yeah, just the whole movie doesn't make sense. And, you know, from the very first uh, frame in the movie, this thing is fucked because the first thing we see is that, oh, somehow there's an alien egg on board the Sulaco, which is fucking impossible. That's, it's so stupid. Yeah, I really... How It just makes me so mad because the only reason why that thing is there is because the writers of this movie needed it to be there. There's no... In Aliens, there was no indication. James Cameron did not leave any loose threads, right? Oh, you asking? I thought that was rhetorical. No, I'm asking you. He didn't leave any loose threads. I was trying to think through the movie because there's an alien on the first dropship and that kills the pilot and the other guy, but that ship's destroyed and the alien is presumably killed in the crash. Yeah. And then the second ship, I guess the queen ends up on, up in orbit, but she doesn't have any eggs with her. Yeah, it's just the queen, and Ripley blasts the queen out of the airlock Plus, there's no time for the queen to like be laying any eggs and stuff because we know that she needs like the egg sack or whatever to start squirting out eggs, right? And she can't do that because it takes time to weave that thing together. The whole time the queen is on the Sulaco, it's killing Bishop and spraying his jizz everywhere. And it's trying to kill Newt, and then it's fighting with Ripley, and then it gets sucked out of the airlock. There's no time to be laying eggs. And yet somehow in Alien 3, there's not one, but there's two eggs on the ship. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, 
No, there's like a bunch of fucking weird conspiracy theories about this that people on Reddit have come up with. Uh, the prevailing one is that somehow when Ripley had those 16 minutes and she was going down to get Newt, Bishop flew the dropship away over to the alien derelict spacecraft, got out, got an egg, brought it back to the ship himself and put it in a secret compartment inside the dropship, then flew back to the uh, atmosphere processor just in time to fly up and rescue Ripley and Newt. And, of course, like, Hicks doesn't know any of this because Bishop knocked him out with a sedative so that he didn't, he wouldn't know that Bishop was going to steal the egg from the alien derelict spaceship. No. Yeah, that's... No. That's See, that's the length that's, that some people will go to to defend this piece of shit. And it just, it does not make sense to me. And then people are saying, like, oh, the queen must have had, like, the superpower to spray out, like, you know, two, like, eggs that she hides inside herself all the time. Okay, that, fine, let's go with that theory, but wouldn't they see them in the docking bay? Because the queen was only in one part of the ship. Exactly. They would, they would have seen them, and then, like, there's plenty of guns on that ship. They would have just blown the fuck out of them and just, you know. Flamethrowered them or something, thing. yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, you know what? I think that this was just a case of we need X to happen, so we're going to put it in the script. Yeah. It's like when Obi-Wan Kenobi and fucking Qui-Gon Jinn run away from the droid decas because how else are they going to get away from the invincible droids with shields? But then later in the movie, when it would be really handy to run super fast, Obi-Wan forgets how to do that. It's just one of those logical disconnects that the writer needed something to happen in one spot, so they made a bunch of shit up. But then later in the movie, when the implications of that logic come to, you know, bear fruit, it's like, okay, well, that's not. No, 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 don't worry about that. Never happened. Yeah, it's just there's not a lot of thinking going on here, and that's what bothers me, especially in a sci-fi movie or a purported sci-fi movie. I expect it to be at least intelligent. Like Aliens was an intelligent movie, and so was Alien. The things that people and characters did in those movies made sense to me. This one, not so much. And it starts with that crazy thing. Like, why it, Why are there eggs aboard the Sulaco? And the egg, did you notice the egg is, like, right above, or the way the camera makes it look, the egg is, like, right above, like, uh, Ripley's container? It's pretty obvious that yeah, somebody would have like, seen why it. Why would you go to sleep if you knew that was there? How, or did the egg just kind of move itself somehow? It, like, squirted itself up there? I guess the egg probably, like, the, the face sucker got out of the egg and dragged it up there and then got back in it. <laughs> yeah. See, the, it, it, it makes no sense. And then they follow that stupid decision. Of, oh, by the way, like, they say that an electrical fire from the acid from the alien, the face huggers, caused the ship to malfunction. And that's why the escape pod got shot out. Please tell me how on a spaceship designed for combat that there's not redundant systems in place that would have cut all that power immediately to those lines and prevented an electrical fire from happening. I guess the more important question is why that wouldn't have happened like immediately. Yeah, like the moment she went into crowd sleep, the alien should be on her face. Right. And then they just would have gone right back down to LV-426. Right, yeah. <laughs> As you're going to set it up like that, that the obvious question is why wait all this time? Because it, it, the story demanded it, right? I blame Vincent Ward. Well, and then, and then 
they follow that up with like just the other worst decision I think of this movie, and they kill the two most popular characters, probably besides Ripley, from the other movie. They kill Newt. The only other people to survive the movie, more importantly. Well, yeah, I mean, Bishop's with them. And we get, like, a tiny scene with Bishop in this movie. She talks with Bishop for, like, two minutes, and he's all broken and fucked up. And he's yeah. just like, oh, Ripley, sure, I can access the log. Hold on. Beep, the beep, weird beep, animatronic beep. Bishop with, who looks like Quato. I don't think he looks that bad, but... Yeah. yeah, the only people... The only people to escape, two of them are killed. Yeah, and just they were great characters, too. And they kill Newt by making her fucking drown in the space capsule in the in the cryo container. Yeah. Uh, that I mean, just like a slap in the face to everybody who liked aliens. <clears throat> and then Hicks is an awesome character, and they he gets killed by a fucking beam, gets shoved through him. Or does he? Yeah. Well, aliens, colonial marines, like pretends that Hicks actually did escape, and that the body in the the cryo thing is actually some other guy's body for some reason, and. Yeah, that whole fucked up convoluted story in that game, which is a piece of shit also, and nobody should play it ever. Yeah, Hicks escapes and puts some other guy in the crowd too for some reason. He doesn't tell anybody about this when he leaves. Doesn't warn anybody. Yeah. and But discarding that whole thing, just, you know, in this movie, you, Hicks gets killed. He survives an onslaught by like hundreds of aliens in the second movie and all these perilous situations only to get killed by a fucking beam going through him while he's sleeping in his cryo container. Ugh, I just, you know, it, this movie would have been so much better if he had just been in this movie. Same plot, same everything. It put Hicks in there. It would have been better. I think that that whole thing could work if you're going to go for like the, the nihilistic deal. Yeah, that's it's garbage though. But well, I'm saying that the other films weren't nihilistic in tone, so it's like if this were that kind of movie, having him just killed off screen by a beam, okay, fine, that would be fitting with the rest of the franchise. But nowhere has nihilism been introduced in Alien or Aliens. Yeah, and then we get to Ripley's the only survivor. And uh, she almost gets raped by some crazy convicts. Uh, the administrator guys don't like her there because uh, she'll make the convicts all rape crazy because she's a woman and stuff. So she cuts her hair. Yeah. And then we meet all the convicts, and the convicts don't matter at all. In fact, they're mostly useless, and I can't wait for most of them to die because how are you supposed to connect and root for a bunch of thieves and con men and murderers and rapists. I mean, you're rooting for the alien to kill them because they're vile people. They're not like the colonists or the Marines, right? They're not doing a job and they're not innocent people. They're they're pieces of shit and they're there for a reason. I think I would have been more interested in the convicts if it were uh, more obvious they were convicts and not just weird people living in an abandoned prison. Yeah, that's the other thing, too. They they really skimp on the explanation in a lot of these scenes. And then you're just left wondering, okay, like, what do they really do here? What? It, well, I mean, they say it used to be like a, a molten lead works. Uh, Apparently, it used the, to be a smelting The factor. refinery still operates, but y- yeah, the planet's abandoned, so, like, what, are they just piling all of the stuff they make up outside? Like... And they get resupplied once in a while from the, the company. 
I guess. I mean, is that the it, if this were like an actual prison where there were Wayland Dutani guards and they were, you know, it actually looked like the other movies, and it's like, oh yeah, we're using this prison facility to test out a bunch of fucked up shit on these prisoners because no one's going to care about a bunch of murderers and rapists. We'll just we'll drill their eyes out and other weirdo stuff. Yeah. Okay. Experiment, infect them with, yeah. with face huggers. And now they're like, oh, an alien. Great. We heard about these things. That's fucking awesome. Let's play with our new toy. And then that could be the, the catalyst that, you know, sets off the alien rampage that always happens in these movies and kills everybody. Fine. Cool. But it's an abandoned prison full of people wearing quasi Star Wars outfits. Yeah. And I don't care about any of them, except for Charles Dance, because oh he, yeah. he's yeah. the doctor. <laughs> So the doctor, he has—he actually is the only person in the prison who has a good backstory and is an interesting character, right? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. He was a doctor, a surgeon, and he was operating on a patient or something while he was like addicted to um, heroin or something or some drug. Some drug, yeah. and he kills a patient, so he loses his license and has to get sent to prison to serve his time for malpractice or whatever. And he comes here, and then because. He doesn't have a future outside. He can never get a job as a doctor again. He just decides to stay and be the prison doctor. It's like his personal penance or something for whatever he's done in the past. But it's also his only chance to keep doing doctor stuff. Yes. And that makes me intrigued by his character. And I, think I like Charles, his character. Yeah, Charles Dance plays him really well. He's a great actor. And yet... They build up this character. They actually like have him starting a relationship with Ripley, and then boom, he gets killed like a third of the way through the movie. Alien just comes out of nowhere and fucking like kills him right through like a you know, a, like a shower curtain. That's what that thing looks like. Yeah, this whole place <laughs> is just covered in shower curtains. Yeah, like it's it's the the weird kind of hanging plastic that's always in like the walk-in coolers and like the redneck beer stores. The whole facility everything in there all the rooms are just they're just these hanging plastic sheets everywhere yeah he was did they not finish the set like he was standing on plastic man i'm okay lethal weapon (laughs) two aside like really did they not finish the set and they're just like oh fuck let's just hang plastic here because we don't have to do anything else then i really think that is what happened because we know that they were they were building sets for scenes that weren't going to be in the final movie and they had to fucking redress them to fit in this movie because they were building shit on this timetable and they didn't have a script. So, uh, yeah, I guess they just hung plastic up wherever they couldn't make things look proper for the prison that they had in the new script, which yeah. makes it look so stupid. Like, there's only one fucking place that plastic shit makes sense, sort of sense, is when uh, they're running back inside from finding Ripley in the water or the crash ship, like through the, like the little the mud room, I guess, where you stomp your boots off from the sand. Yeah. That is the only place the plastic makes sense, but the rest of the prison is just full of plastic sheets. Yeah, that makes sense because you, you need to have kind of like a, a decontamination room yeah. because they're, they make it clear that this is kind of a harsh planet. There's like sandstorms and shit blowing around the facility, so you don't want to just like have an open door letting sand in. That makes sense. Everything else... About this, this the design of this place, it's just it's like red and brown all everywhere. I mean, it, it looks like shit, honestly. And but it also looks like not a prison. Well, I don't think it, it was specifically a prison. I think that uh, it's it's a convict laborer place. 
Like I mean, they, they does, have like a smelting factory or whatever, and they make convicts run it. But it doesn't look like a. If you have convicts do anything, even people who work on prison farms, like they still have the the prison type living setting for where they sleep and everything, like barracks and all that. Yeah, nothing in this place to me says prison. It says like generic interior industrial, and then I guess they try to make it look like a prison once they settle on that part of the story. Maybe actually, it reminds me a lot of. Um, it just reminds me of Hellraiser a lot because there's like hanging chains everywhere and stuff, and the like the central place that the prisoners all hang out and like the doctor's telling his story and all that to Ripley in the beginning, but there's no sadomasochistic demons in this, this place, just boring prisoners whom you can't wait, uh, to be killed by the alien. Right. It's just who the fuck are these people? No one cares really like, okay, everyone's going to die. All right. Now the guy in the underground chamber, him and his buddy, who are, I guess, looking for the alien have, they're armed with a screwdriver or I don't know, some piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, they have no weapons right. on this place. And the alien grabs the one guy and pulls him off the wall, and he's going, ooh, help me, and his friend's like, whoa, I can't do anything, and he runs back to the hatch, and it... Number one, why are there giant drainage tunnels under the prison on the desert planet where presumably you don't need drainage? Yeah, you want to preserve water. Yeah, and number two, like... Go out and hunt this alien. Let's not even, you know, break off an iron bar or one of those chains or something. Let just karate him to death using your or rape him. I guess that's the plan, right? Yeah, rape him to death. Yeah, Yeah. it's so fucking stupid. Like, I can't even imagine coming to work on this set, getting up at like four in the morning, going to do makeup and all that bullshit, and then like, oh, what are we doing today? I'm getting a puppet thrown at me in front of this beige wall. Okay. Sounds good. Even even the administrator and his lackey, the dumb guy, you'd think that if they had weapons, those two guys would know where the weapons are stored and that they would be the only ones to have access to them, right? Well, yeah, that there would be some kind of fail-safe. They'd have the key to the armory or something. Exactly. and Or it'd be like a palm print scanner or some shit like that. And they would have some weapons stocked up in case they needed them in case these prisoners got really crazy and started revolting for whatever reason and try to take over the place right i think it's just if i were on an alien planet i would have weapons period like yeah it, it just there could I be sandworms wouldn't want to have alien or weapons on a on a planet with convict laborers but we know that this is not like an active prison facility anymore at the time of this movie, and the company is just kind of using it periodically as a refinery for raw materials and stuff. They should have some guns there. But they should have had guns there when it was a prison anyway. Yeah, to guard the prison. That's what I'm saying. There, there should be at least one weapon somewhere in the facility. Even if the prisoners are going to behave and you never have trouble with them, there could be like a sand monster outside. Like, you don't know. And I read that one of the big reasons why they shied away from the gun stuff in this movie was because they wanted to make it feel more like the first movie. And also Sigourney Weaver complained about the so much gunplay in the second movie because I guess she's not a big fan of guns. But whatever and that was one of the conditions that she had, you know, that she stipulated that would have to be a condition if she was going to come back. Whatever your opinion on, you know, gun control here on Earth is. Yeah, if I, I'm on an alien planet with yeah. hostile organisms, I want the best gun yeah, I can get exactly. in my hand. 
so I can blow whatever motherfucker yep. comes for me. I mean, yeah, you can go fuck yourself if you want to think that there should be a restriction on, like, having a gun in space when aliens are going to try and rip your face off. Like, I don't think anybody who's sane would do that. Even the most ardent gun control person would probably say, like, well, yeah, if there were aliens potentially going to rip my face off, I'd probably want a gun in my lonely space existence. But you don't even need guns. How about a spear? How about an improvised weapon of some sort? They literally go to find the alien with flashlights and, like, a little chisel thing. Yeah, come out, eat me. Yeah, like, please kill me now. The script, you know, we're on page 38. I'm supposed to die. Like, I'm ready to go. Well, though they, they try to... They do some other stuff. They try to use toxic waste to burn the alien out of the tunnels, which, again, is really stupid because it's really time-consuming, and I think their second plan makes more sense. Like, let's lure the alien into the smelter or whatever and then dump hot lead on it. That makes a lot more sense than, yeah, let's try to burn the whole place down in, in those huge tunnels with all the toxic waste shit we've got and just hope the alien doesn't fuck up our plan. Which he does. Plus, then, even if their plan works, their tunnels are now full of toxic waste. Yeah, and they, obviously, they weren't thinking that through very well. But they're a bunch of double-digit IQ convicts, right? What do you expect? But somebody should have just... Ripley should have. But And she was, like, all for the plan. She should have been smarter. Yeah, I just think there's a lot of... I don't even want to call it a leap of logic, maybe a lapse of logic. Just a lot of this movie is a series of things that happen, so more things that happen can happen. But there's no internal logic to that, like, okay, so this happens and then this happens because the previous thing occurred. Fine, but it's just event, 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 event. Okay, the alien is now destroyed and Ripley has to jump in the lava. The end. Yes. Thanks for paying yeah. nine bucks, guys. Yeah, just extremely disappointing and you know particularly disappointing were the the alien effects in this movie the really close-up stuff i think they did an excellent job with like the aliens in the infirmary near her face and all that that looks good but they try to do some different stuff in this movie like they they used a a puppet for long shots where they and then they kind of did some rotoscoping and so you see the puppet on the screen and there's some scenes where it's like supposed to be eating some guy and it's like actually on the the film print above like where the guy the dead guy is and it just doesn't look good it looks really fake it looks like it's pawing the air over him yeah yeah and then they they use cg effects for the alien and some other parts like when she blows up the alien's head with the the cold water fucking awful and yeah it looks so bad it looks so bad and it's just again like you're making this movie a year after they made terminator 2 which had groundbreaking cgi effects and then you're just before jurassic park right and jurassic park still looks amazing today like it still looks the dinosaurs still look real yeah, they do. They look the effects look great in Jurassic Park still. But they uh, they were using the same tools available to the people who made Alien Three: puppets, rotoscoping, and CGI. Yeah, and they could they could have done that too in Alien Three if they hadn't spent like almost like what like seven eight million dollars before they even started filming the movie because they couldn't get their shit together with the story. Well, I think there's also the issue of all the uh, studio executives who. Wanted to, on the one hand, control costs because making movies is really expensive and they need to, I guess, save money to do more cocaine later. But 
On the other hand, they want to have the follow-up to Alien, so it's going to be a fucking great action-packed movie, but do it as cheap as possible and on this time schedule. And oh, by the way, can we have a look at your dailies? No, no, reshoot that. Change this story element here. It's like you're good at counting beans and you're really good at sitting in a chair. You are probably not a director. Yeah, I felt really bad for David Fincher in this movie because not only did he have to contend with like this whole backlog of shit that had been built up over six years and with this movie and try to sort that out and make it coherent. But like you said, he had to report daily to the studio and they had to review everything and approve what he wanted to do or, or they were telling him to do stuff differently. And so they just didn't let him make a movie. Yeah. And sign off on his plans for the next day, which. And And I guess they didn't trust him because this was his first movie this is his first directorial... No, no, uh, it's his first big budget. Right, he made, movie. like, music videos before this. I don't think it's his first theatrical film either. I think it's just his first film that had, like, a real... But they took, like, an independent small director and gave him a lot of money, so I guess they were concerned that he didn't know what didn't know how to utilize it properly, so they were going to help him. Yeah, well, or, they didn't help him. Turns out he didn't really need their help, yeah. They hurt more than they helped. Yeah, and then the things, you know, he tried to do this movie... You see a lot of it in the assembly cut, and it just didn't work either. I think he tried his best, and it was never going to work out. I think if he had had total control from the beginning or, you know, regular level of director control from the inception of the, like, as soon as the studio's like, okay, let's make a third Alien movie, and then if David Fincher had been calling the shots on the script and, you know, I like this, I like that, let's do this, versus, hey, here's a project that, you know, 20 people have worked on and we've reviewed in committee and done the red pen ourselves because we're geniuses now make it. Yeah. And I, I do, I do feel for him too, because he was inexperienced at this point that he probably didn't have the force of personality to settle these conflicts like Ridley Scott did. Right. The, the studio wanted to cut out like big things and alien. And he said, no, no, we got to have this. And he fought for it. And then of course, James Cameron, you know, yeah. Who, ground them into fine dust. Yeah. He, he has, I mean, the guy is a force of nature, and you can't deny him what he wants because he knows exactly what the fuck he's doing. And if you don't want him to do what he wants to do, he's just going to go do something else because he's always got something else. And more importantly, the movie's probably going to suffer exactly. for him not doing what he wants. Yeah. Yeah. And I so, yeah, I feel really bad. I totally understand why David Fincher ha- won't even speak about this movie to this day because this process must have been just... The, the process of making the movie was scarier than the movie itself. I can't let him off the hook entirely. I gotta say, if I were in that position, I would have been really sorely tempted to tell him, you know, okay, well, you can make the movie then. I'm quitting. So you, a Fox executive guy, you can come sit in the chair and do the movie. Good luck. So you blame him for for not quitting sooner? Yeah. I just think if you have, you know, if he... The movie comes out, it sucks, and then David Fincher for years afterwards says, oh, I'm not going to talk about it. But when he does talk about it, it's, ooh, fuck Alien 3, studio ruined it, blah, blah, blah. And, okay, well, if you really hated that much and it sucks so bad and it was awful, you, you could have not finished it. Like, no one held a gun to your head and made you finish the movie and release it. Right, they could have made the producers from Brandywine finish it, uh, Guiler and the other guy. Yeah. They would have done it because they were involved in writing the scripts and stuff from the beginning. Right, so... It still would have eh. sucked. It still would have sucked, so that's, that's why I can't let him off the hook completely. It's like, I sympathize that he's in a between a rock and a hard place, but you always have that option to say, all right, well, 
I'm out of here. Which yeah, many directors have done. But then, too, if, uh, to give a counterpoint to that, if I were in his shoes and this was my first big-budget movie and I walked out on it, I'm just thinking how terrible that would be for my career. Like that, He was probably thinking, like, wow, this, you know, I've got to do this and try to do the best job I can because if I don't or I walk away... It's gonna follow me for the rest of my time here, and I may right. not even make it. So it's it's such a tough decision. And then you'll get the you never work in this town again from the the big fat guy with the, the goblin neck, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Which I <clears throat> can't remember. Did James Cameron actually get one of those speeches? Um, I don't know, but if if. If he ever did, I'm sure that guy is like had a heart attack when he realized how wrong he was. Yeah, I can't remember. I somebody from one of the movie series we talked about got one of those speeches, and then it was just like came. Somebody did two of the movie series we talked about. Came back, directed the sequel, and was like, "Okay, hey, well, turns out you were an asshole." Yeah, I think I might have been. Uh, I think it was James Cameron actually. I think it was the Terminator movies. Someone was upset with him over Terminator or the Terminator. Why? How? And then, then when he did Terminator 2, it was like, okay, well, turns out you were wrong and an asshole and a retard. Yeah. James Cameron makes a good movie. David Fincher probably should stick with weirdo shit. Yeah, he does really, really awesome movies, just not sci-fi movies. Not sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, even if he had had total control over this, based on his other projects he's done, I have to wonder what that would have looked like. Because it probably still wouldn't have been a proper sequel to Aliens. Yeah, uh, I'm thinking some movies that he's done recently. He did uh, Gone Girl, didn't he? Good movie, but not sci-fi, though. Like, Yeah, yeah, and he did The Social Network, obviously, which was not sci-fi, but still a really great movie. Um, but these are, like, good, thrilling character movies that... Yeah, I think that's the world he does best in. Yeah, Alien and Aliens... This could have been a character movie if they hadn't killed the characters that mattered. They had characters, but it was... it's They're still... You're still carrying the weight of that created world. It's not like The Social Network or Gone Girl where you can say, okay, everything you know about the world is the same except for what's going on in this little circle of people. But like... You know, there are no spaceships, or there's no Wayland yutani there's no aliens. It's just, it's the world you know, and here's a little story going on inside of it. Yeah. Aliens is always going to be carrying that. I don't think somebody who is the person who has their both their feet planted in that character world can do the same justice to that, that somebody like James Cameron or Ridley Scott, who can put one foot in the, the regular world, the human world, and then put the other foot in the spectacle world. Yeah, I agree with that. It seems like the studio really wanted to have it both ways. They wanted the great character action of the the first and second movies, but they also wanted the big budget action sequences and things like that. And you can't, it's, it's very hard to successfully combine the two as aliens demonstrates. I think there are only a handful of people though, as directors who can do that. Yeah. And I don't think David Venture is one of them. Right. Especially I mean, when you have all this shit to contend with that is following you from the early production of a film. Yeah, he's very talented at the kind of films he makes, but I just wonder why they went ahead and said, okay, well, let's just grab this kid, basically, who doesn't know what he's doing, versus finding somebody else. 
I mean, probably because everybody else who was experienced enough had probably heard through the grapevine what a shit show this thing was. Oh, yeah, probably. <laughs> like, why would you want to be on that set, like, taking shit like that every day? Just so you can say you were part of the Alien franchise? No. No. Oh, yeah, I'm just thinking that, like, plenty of people were free, although apparently Ridley Scott wasn't free for this one. Uh, I think he made himself unavailable. I remember he wanted to come back, but his schedule, he had another movie that was like going to be in production when this was starting to go. Well, I mean, we, we talked about how, how this movie could have been a lot better if they hadn't killed characters and it could have been very different based on some earlier scripts. But really, for me, I don't think they should have even made this movie, which I know is a really hard thing to say because of money and money's always going to want to make sequels, right? But I think they gave Ripley a nice arc throughout Alien and Aliens, and they gave her a good ending. They gave the whole, they wrapped up the story very neatly. There were no loose threads. I think they should have just left it at those two movies. It still would have been a great franchise, in my opinion. Still could have had Prometheus after all that time, right? They could have started that up, but you could have done it without the shit of Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection. I don't really have a problem with sequels, but I. I just wouldn't have Alien 3 and Alien Resurrection seem like they're trying to recapture the the magic of Alien, not even aliens, but just Alien like the isolated spot with the alien hunting people. Don't do that. Go that, the other way. Yeah, that just doesn't work for me in this movie because we got the escalation in the second movie where there's not one, but actually hundreds of aliens. There's an unstoppable horde of aliens, right. and now we go back to one alien. Exactly. It just seems like a big letdown to people watching the film. That's what I mean. I, yeah. I would say go the other direction. Send the aliens to that, uh, what, was, what is that thing called? The gateway station? Yeah. Aliens there. Alien on Earth. Alien on the moon. Alien on some other colony that's well-developed. Aliens in the White House. I mean, there's plenty of ways you can go. It doesn't require you to try to kind of capture the weird people on like a space truck tone of Alien. Yeah, which is what constantly, when I watch this movie or see it on, pushes the exploder button in my brain because if they had just followed the essence of that teaser trailer with the alien egg above Earth, things could have been so much better. Yeah. And they lied. I don't, I don't even know if they lied, though. I think that might have just been what they thought they were trying to do. And then it turns out later that, no, no, that wasn't the case at all. They're trying to make some weird-ass movie about, like, a sand... Tattooing. It's, it's, it's fucking Mos Eisley minus the Jawas, but the aliens are attacking you. So you're saying at the time they made that teaser trailer that those months between the teaser and the release of the movie, so much shit changed in that time that they literally weren't making the same movie. I cannot discount the possibility <clears throat> based on the amount of plastic hanging on the set. Yeah. It seems like they could have shot these other... Many of the pieces of the film could have been reshoots because they make no fucking sense together. Just hear some weirdo shit the convicts are talking about their stupid-ass religion, then the aliens in the pipe, and then they're cutting up Newt. And then where the convicts are talking about some other weird shit, and the warden's like, I don't want to hear it. Ripley, you're crazy. 
Yeah, and then the alien comes out of the air vent in right. the cafeteria and right. kills it's him. Right, just like this, <laughs> none of the shit was shot. I it feels like it was all just shot like boom, 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 boom. Like they're like a fucking Roger Corman movie. They were just putting this thing together to get it out there. Or a Clint Eastwood movie. He's notorious for doing really, really fast shoots. But his movies are good. The uh, the fake baby in American Sniper. Okay, well, I mean... Let's shoot it. Let's shoot it real fast. I guess working with real babies is more difficult, but... I don't want to deal with that shit. Let's just get it done. His movies are good. He, he, he can get away with that because he knows what the fuck he's doing. But when you have this kind of movie where you have eight scripts battling each other for dominance and then... Right. And there's really eight directors, too, because you right. have the real director and then the studio people. Exactly. The real director <laughs> has to answer to the studio committee, which committee thinking always... Well, fucking Robocop shows you the genius of committee thinking, right? Is that Robocop 2 where he has like 800 directives? Um, I think is it, it is. Is, that, is Robocop 2... That's the one where they give the, the, the convict guy his own Robocop. They, uh, he gets in, like the, the big Robocop and he's addicted to that nuke drug. Yeah. But like the, the OCP committee, like, ooh, yeah, we should do that. Like how when you have a meeting in a committee, every the whiteboard ends up just chock full of shit because committee yeah. thinking produces just the overflow of extraneous ideas you don't really need. Which, I don't know, Alien 3 just feels disjointed to me. Yeah. Alien, okay, I get what's going on. They go on the planet, they find the thing, they get on the ship, it kills them. Spooky, spooky, done. Aliens, got to solve the mystery. Okay, being attacked, got to survive. Now it's a survival film. Kill the big boss. Okay, done. Great. New game plus. Alien 3 is just... It's minus that. Right, you, you crash on the planet, and then the alien attacks you inside the smelter facility, and then the other android, who's an evil android with long hair, shows up at the end with the Wayland yutani team to try and convince you to come with them, but then you jump in the lava... Oh yeah, let's talk about let's talk it about that no too. Sense. What do you what do you think about the Whalen Yutani the 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 bioweapons division team that that comes? I mean, that's the I think that's like the only thing that we see about the company besides the the characters in the other movies. I don't, I actually kind of like that better. I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, that was like really one of the only parts of the movie that I was interested in, like how these company guys operate. Yeah. That was it. And yeah, the fucking weird bishop thing. Like, was he a real guy or was he another android? Because, like, he gets hit in the head with a, a wrench and he has the fucking, like, weird hanging earpiece or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I had to assume he's an android because... But he was bleeding red. He wasn't cum-powered. But I have to assume he's an android. Like, he was a fake android? You know, a sli- an android designed to make you think he's human by bleeding red? I mean, they could have dyed the cum red, like... Like he has like blood packs in there or something. Well, I mean, they could have put red food coloring in him. Like, <laughs> I'm saying that if it's a the the cum flu, our cum discussion aside, like if it indeed is there to lubricate the joints and carry the whatever around the body, you can color anything you want. I don't think the white color is particularly important to its function. So you think he's an android then? I have to assume he's an android. I guess that is one of the few interesting things about this movie. Points of debate. I think that the whether or not he's human, the the fact that he's there with the team, they are more interesting as a concept than anything that happens in the movie. Yeah, like they're just purely interested in getting the alien specimen, and they're all just they're ready to go. They're in their surgery gear and everything. Well, it's like this special team that, since the company now knows about this xenomorph organism from wherever, 
however they originally found out about it. They've been trying to track it down. They have like this, you know, SEAL Team 6 group of people who are going to go out and investigate any fucking place they can to get their hands on it. Yeah. That's cool. That's one of the only things that works about this movie for me, especially when you get the, the setup when the dumb lackey guy types in his computer like, you know, hey, we need help and stuff like that, blah, blah, blah. And the company gets, like, a the feed from all the medical scanners and stuff from everywhere. They have a facility, and they just, there's, like, 62 replies on his thing, like, awaiting response, awaiting response, because that's how bad they want Ripley and this alien inside of her. That's the only thing that really I got in the movie. And then we get to the ending part, which also sucks. Yes. Because it's a direct ripoff of Terminator 2. Almost. Ripley does not give the thumbs up. Right, but they both they both got things inside of them that the evil people can't get because it's going to cause mass destruction and mayhem, so they both have to sacrifice themselves by going into a, a pit of molten uh, steel or lava. But that's very prescient, though, because much like Terminator 3, Alien Resurrection points out that that was all futile because they're going to figure it out anyway. Right. Judgment Day is inevitable. Yeah, well, <laughs> Judgment Day has come for this movie, and it fucking blows. Yep. I wouldn't recommend watching it at all if you can avoid it. If you are going to watch it, just make sure you're doing something else and you're watching it on, like, IFC or something when it comes on, and you can mute it when you are getting tired of it. I have to say, it almost rivals the sense of confusion you get in watching, um, what's what was that stupid Terminator movie with uh, Batman in it? Terminator Salvation. Yeah. Alien Three almost rivals a sense of confusion I get watching that movie. Just like, what am I supposed to be interested in that's going on here? Because you're just shoving a whole bunch of weird shit on the screen, and then this happens and that happens, and the movie's over. At no point am I thinking, like, okay, hmm, here's the plot. This is the story. Well, and, and the tone of the movie. The first one was very mysterious and then horrific. And the second movie, I thought, was, you know, a lot of tension and action and ultimately uplifting, right, at the end because she defeats her demons, pretty much. This one was just mopey. And I hate that about it, too. It's just so mopey. I mean, the Ripley, she spends like half the movie wishing she was dead, and she even goes and tries to like suicide herself by finding the alien or something. And you, like, I've heard people argue before that like she's really depressed about losing Newt, and I can kind of buy that, but they don't really explore that in the movie much. She's just sad. You know, Hicks and Newt, like, their bodies get dropped into the, the molten steel, and then, you know, the movie continues. Well, there is the the cut autopsy scene that I don't think is right. in any version. Well, they yeah they cut it because it was too graphic. The only part that they left in the movie was like they split open her rib cage and like just goes like that. But even then, it's like you just hear like the sound and like a quick you know. Yeah, I think if they had showed like the really gory dissection, maybe that would have been enough to. Well, and showed her reaction right. to it more than just like you know she's standing there watching it yeah she looks more like 
interested, like, hmm, what are you doing there, Tywin Lannister? What's what's going on? Yes, and she should have been turning away, or she could not look at that. That's... Or she should have been more disturbed by the little yeah. girl who was like her surrogate daughter getting cut open, like, hey, what's going on in here? Oh, yeah, and the, the bishop animatronics, too, just to say, nope. And like it, and again, he they fucking like he said that she asked him, "Oh, was there an alien on board the ship?" And he's like, "Oh yes, there was," and she and she's like, "How did you know? How long was it there?" And he's like, "Oh, it was with us like the whole time or whatever." And then that just you know it begs the question, and she doesn't ask it like, "Well, how did it get there, Bishop?" And they just deliberately don't answer that. Just another huge weakness in this movie that pisses me off. Plus, if the alien was on the ship the whole time, the, the facehuggers aren't shown to be, like, good at waiting. Yeah. They're not shown to be smart, either. They're just like, I see something I can facehug. I'm going to do that. Yeah, it's like they seem like they're motion-activated in that they can sense when somebody's moving around them. So if everybody's asleep in the crowd tube, how do they know where to go? But, I mean, even allowing for the possibility that they can think like, hmm, okay, like they can sense or see or whatever. I'm just saying that when you are near the pod, the face hugger comes out and uh, tries to face hug you like that, just the way it works. Why would it wait? If it's hanging above the pod or it's in the ship somewhere, why would it wait? Why wouldn't it just like, ooh, people are on the ship. I'm going to pop out and try to get one of them now. Like, Yeah, why now? Why then? Yeah, they're not shown to be smart. Like, do they, does the face hugger have the self restraint to sit there and think, no, I'm going to wait? Yeah. I guess. Uh, you know, another thing that people have talked about, too, as an interesting point of this movie is, um, like, the life cycle of the alien, that a new thing was added, it, added to it in this one, that the alien takes on characteristics of the host. So Makes this, no sense. In this movie, it's like a dog alien it's a quadruped because it comes out of a dog or an ox, depending on which version you watched, whereas the other aliens came out of people, so they're more biped and upright. Still just, I didn't really like the design of the, the dog alien too much. And the fact that it emerges from the dog or the ox fully formed already, it, it, that seemed like a real oversight to me. Yeah, it should have been the snake. Yeah, exactly, because I think they're changing too many things there, and they're just playing fast and loose with the stuff that they have to be uh, mindful of, you know, the backstory. See, now I'm thinking, though, what what year did the thing come out, 1982? I'm wondering if they're borrowing from that, like the alien is absorbing the characteristics of the host. I, or, like, there's some... Well, in, like, Alien Resurrection, they, they say that it's, like, a genetic blend or something, that the alien, like, blends its own genes with those of the host somehow. Which I don't... Still don't get, really. No, I just... The only thing I really like about the design of the alien in this movie is where those moments where we get to see the, the alien's point of view, the vision. Mm -hmm. It's, like, yeah. that fisheye lens... And I think that's actually really cool where you see how fast the alien moves around the halls when it's chasing the, the stupid convicts. But other than that, didn't like the alien design at all. I, I don't really like this movie at all. No, I, I hate this fucking movie. There's like two things I liked about it. <laughs> I just told you about all the other things I hate. There's only one thing I'm into, which is the, the bishop 
guy, whatever he is, and the secret bioweapons team. That's it. The rest of the movie is just a bunch of shit that happens on screen because the script says we're on page 38. Yeah, make a movie about the bioweapons people. That would be more interesting. That would have been a cooler Alien 3. Really. Especially if, you know, the bioweapons people had intercepted the, the whatever the... Sulaco. I was going to call it the Sunoco, but yeah. <laughs> had intercepted the ship like, hey, we heard you were on LV-246. There were aliens there. Let's... Yeah, we're the rescue team that was supposed to come right. 17 days later. That would have been cool <laughs> if the rescue if the rescue team, like they had gone and they're like, oh, we're the rescue team and had, you know, bullshitted them under that premise. Like, oh, yeah, we're the rescue team. Yeah, and doesn't the first Alien versus Predator game uh, do that kind of? Like the whole thing is that as the Marine, you start out and you're you're based in a facility built around the derelict spacecraft on LV-426 where they're like excavating the and doing experiments on the aliens. Yeah. That seems like something inspired like that would have, I don't know, that would have made it a more interesting movie for me. Movie sucks. Or just there's like aliens on other planets too. I mean, they could have gone in that direction and just like they're natively there or they were deposited there by the the engineer guys like they were on the derelict spacecraft somehow, right? Or they, they just didn't have to explain it. They just could have been on another planet for whatever reason, like in Alien vs. Predator 2. Or somebody finds another space jockey ship since I'm sure there's more than one engineer. Yeah, and we know there's more than one engineer because in Prometheus you see that huge row of those ships on the planet that they're on, right? And they only fly away in one of them. Yeah, so that's what I mean. Like, maybe somebody finds a an alien egg somewhere or another ship or, hey, we were excavating this or some merchant traded me this container and there's an alien egg inside. Yeah. Many ways to do it other than there's an alien egg that snuck onto the ship. I don't know. Anything else you want to say about this this film? Because I've exhausted myself. Um, don't watch it? Yeah, that's, what I, that's all I was going to say. Fuck this movie. Fuck the process it was made by. Uh, fuck everything about it. Just don't fucking watch it. Uh, hate this movie, not only because it put Justin in a coma, but it... Uh, it just is an assault on your senses, okay? So don't watch it. Don't watch it. Spend your time doing something else. Learn a new language. Yeah. Draw a picture. Just Learn Klingon. Just do something. Don't watch Alien 3. Maybe watch Alien Resurrection. For a laugh. To laugh. Yeah, it's a good comedy <laughs> movie. And speaking of that, we'll be back next week to talk about that. Uh, maybe with our first five-person panel, so that will be interesting. And I was thinking we, we, we may do a Module B thing this week uh, to review Jurassic World now that uh, it's out and uh, it's it's making lots of money and uh, we've both seen it. Spoiler. The Indominus Rex tries to turn the raptors that are intelligent dogs to the dark side, Darth Vader style. And says, join me. Together we can end this conflict and bring order to the island. Not uh, the best idea, as it turns out. It gave me a tingle. Gave me diarrhea, so we'll, <laughs> we'll put it that way. 
So we'll have another interesting movie to talk about with the Module B, and we'll be back next Sunday with maybe a five-person panel to talk about Alien Resurrection, everything from Ron Perlman to the infamous basketball scene to Cripple Guy to Winona Ryder being a lesbian, angry, pouty robot. To the black guy from CSI with the guns in his arms who can reflect bullets off like angles in the basketball court but somehow can't shoot the alien when he's like three feet away from it. <laughs> and the guy who sends the people in the escape pod and throws a grenade in after them. Oh, yeah, and the wheelchair guy with the assembled gun. Yep. Yeah. Yep, so much stuff to hate and laugh at in that movie. I'm looking forward to it. And Ron Perlman's hot man-on-man kiss with wheelchair guy. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, we'll see you guys next week.